Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? In today's episode, we are going to dig into the first step of the emotional intelligence framework blueprint that I created. And that is what I call categorizing emotions. And basically what I mean by this is that we are identifying and teaching kids how to identify their emotional states on a continuum. Because the first step in emotional regulation or self-regulation is recognizing your emotional state or that you are out of balance. So that said, let's talk about a few ways to do this. For younger kids, I typically will use a chart that has four domains. It has four colors. So it starts on the left with green. I'm sorry, starts on the left with blue and then goes into green and then yellow and then red. And each category represents a series of emotions. So blue, and I often connect these if you've seen the movie Inside Out. Uh, So blue is like sadness. So when someone is feeling blue, they are sad, sick, tired, low energy. They're going to need to do something to get their energy up. Green is what I would classify joy as. So happy, calm, focused, ready to learn can listen. Then you've got yellow, which is where I would put both disgust and fear because they are the emotions where we are feeling something a a bit strong, but we haven't lost control of our, our logical, rational brain yet. Our emotional brain hasn't taken over yet. So you've got things like worry, frustration, and maybe kids are a bit too wiggly, like they're, they're a little bit too excited. And then you've got the red zone, which is where I would put anger. So it's certainly anger, frustration, but it can also be like extreme excitedness uh, or fear or worry to this very deep level. So think of like those strong emotions to the max. And when a child is in or when an adult is in that red zone, that's when our emotional brain takes over, our amygdala (laughs) hijacks the rest of the thinking brain, and we can't think clearly. So the point of that is, When you are in or when a child is in blue, yellow, red, any zone other than green, that tells us that we need to do something to get back to green. And what we do depends on who we are, what we enjoy or motivated by and kind of what our energy state is, our emotional state is. For low energy, we might do something like exercise or movement or fresh air to get our energy back up and active. If we are in that yellow or the red zone, what we might need to do is 
more slow moving movement like yoga or stretching, or maybe we need to do some breathing or progressive muscle relaxation, maybe sensory integrated activities. So the range of what people could do is massive. I mean, if you search kids coping calming skills in Pinterest or Google, you're going to get hundreds and each one works differently for each person. It's finding out what works well for you and what works well for your kiddos. But the point of this being we need kids need a visual for adults. We can somewhat, I don't think that we fully have this skill under our belts yet, but we can somewhat recognize our emotional states on the spot. Like, oof, I don't feel good. And, and there are some bodily feelings that go with that. So you might feel your heart racing. You might feel your back getting tense. All of those things tell you that you're not in the green zone. For kids, they need the the visuals, they need the colors, the, the system, the chart, and they don't need it with them all the time because once they learn it, they'll have it in their, their mind, but they need at least something to start from because it's too complex for them to really break down without having a visual. What I will do is I, um, I put the inside out characters in each zone along with the color. Sometimes I'll change out those characters to meet the needs of a, a child's interest or preference. So I might do DC or Marvel characters to represent each zone. I might do Winnie the Pooh. You know, it depends on the age of the child and what they're interested in. If the child's a little bit older, I may not do the chart because it might seem too childlike or childish for a, an older child. So what I do with them is that barking dog, wise owl hand signal. And for those of you who have listened to other podcasts of mine or read my blog on, on the Behavior Hub's website, I talk about this hand signal that Dan Siegel came up with, upstairs brain, downstairs brain, but then Georgetown University took it and brought it down to the level of a younger child with barking dog, wise owl. So essentially you tuck your thumb and you wrap your, your top four fingers around your thumb. Your thumb is represented by the emotional brain. That's the barking dog. It barks when we get upset. The four fingers across the top, that's the wise owl. That's your logic, your reason, reasoning brain, your thinking brain. So when the dog barks, when your thumb barks, and you can, you can illustrate that by making your thumb move like a barking dog, it scares away the wise owl. And you can illustrate this by using your top four fingers to flutter away. So sometimes I will use that with kids as well. I'll teach them that hand signal. And if you want more information on exactly what that is, how to teach it, and what all those pieces and components represent, listen to our other podcast episode on this topic and also check out our blog on it, the hand signal. So I'll teach that. And what I'll do is I'll teach when we're in the blue zone, our dog is sleeping. It's not active. It's not awake. We need to do something to get the dog awake because the dog's job is to keep us safe. And if it's sleeping, it's not awake. It might not keep us fully safe. So we got to do something to wake up the dog just a little bit, which is a great representation of the blue zone because in the blue zone, if you're sick, tired, sad, low energy, you might need to do something to give yourself a little boost of energy. In the green zone, the dog is just sitting, waiting patiently, quietly, attentively. In the yellow zone, the dog starts to bark just a little bit. So you can represent that by having your thumb bark just a little bit. And we might need to do something to the dog. Like the dog might need to get a hug or a pet. And that would calm the dog. Much like for us, if we're in the yellow zone, sometimes things like breathing or a hug or some kind of physical touch movement even can stop the dog from barking stop our emotional brain from getting activated. And then in the red zone, the dog is actively and wildly barking. And that's when the wise owl is scared away. So 
At that point, you want to put something in place to calm the barking dog so that the wise owl can fly back so we can access logic and reason and think clearly. So those are the two types of continuums, continua that I use um, to help to categorize emotions. It depends on the child, which ones I think they'll respond better to. It depends on the age. But those are two really awesome ways to help kids start to recognize their emotional states. And then spend some time on that. And you know, when I introduce either, I reference it all the time. So I reference it myself. Oof, my dog is barking, or ooh, I'm in the yellow zone. Oh, I'm tired today. I'm in the I'm in the blue zone. Um, if we're reading books, if we're watching movies, if it's TV, if it's people in the community, everywhere around me, I am constantly referencing the chart or the barking dog wise owl and which state each person or character is in because we, we can see it all the time throughout our day. And finally, once I referenced it in everybody around me, then I'll start to reference it or label it in the child. I won't say though, be careful with your language here because I don't want to blame and shame. I won't say you are in the red zone. I will say your body is telling me because then I can provide evidence as to why that is. That's a very different language approach. Your body is telling me, says it's the body, it's not the person, it's not the child, it's the body, it's something we can change, it's an action versus you are. So try to avoid you are and go with the body. And then I'll, I'll also want to back this up with being Having your dog bark or being in the blue, yellow, or red zone is not a bad thing. You are not a bad child or a bad person if you fall into any of those zones because it's normal to go through all of the zones. It's normal to experience red, then yellow, then blue, then green, and go back and forth all throughout the day. I have already graphed. I've done like a dot or a line graph to show my movement from all the different colors throughout the day, and it it looks like... <laughs> A heart rate monitor, uh, just up and down. Actually, heart rate monitors. Not really. What I'm going from there. More of an EKG, uh, but you get what I mean here. The the days trends. You you go from tired, and then you might be more active, and then you might go back to tired, and then something might frustrate you, and then you might get really angry, and that's all okay. That's normal. We're humans. We have emotions. It's okay to feel emotions. It's okay to be angry. It's just how we respond to and what we deal with those that we need to work on. So I make sure that they know it's it's normal, it's okay, you're not in trouble, you're not a bad child. The reason that this is helpful is just helps us to recognize when we are not in that green zone. And when we're not, we just need to do something to get back there because the, the more and more and more frequently we get back to that green zone and we, we recognize it and we practice something to get back there quicker, we will stay there longer. The more and more and more frequently we are in the yellow or the red zone or we hop into those zones, that becomes our stable state. It becomes easier for kids to go back into those states. Same with adults. So spend some time teaching that label reference throughout the day in yourself. And then note that once we recognize that we are not in the green zone or that your dog is barking, we need to do something to either get back to the green zone or get your dog to stop barking. And that's what we'll talk about in the next episode. But I wanted to give you a baseline of the categorization system, how that works, why it's important before we move on to the next step. Okay. So that takes us to today's listener question, which comes from Florida. And this 
person asked, what can I do to improve my confidence in my training? So I'm guessing that they are presenting and they may be a teacher and having to present PD, or maybe they are in another, maybe they speak at conferences, whatever it may be. So a couple of things that I do, one, certainly practice and I role play and actually speak out loud and see how it sounds and see how it feels. The other thing that I will do is I will visualize what the speaking engagement or PD will look like in my mind. I'll visualize me going through it, what it looks like to introduce, share the content, close, how the audience is responding. And I visualize all positive things, all the things I want. So that that thought is locked into my mind and I can carry that energy into the session. Another thing that I do is before I speak, I usually jump up and down a couple of times. Like I usually go into a bathroom stall, jump up and down, get my blood kind of pumping, and then I'll take some calming, deep breaths just to get my blood circulating, to get my mind wired and ready, and then also just to de-escalate before I go on. And a big one is just trust yourself. Just know that you know your stuff. And really just have fun, smile, laugh, throw some humor in there, enjoy this opportunity to share the knowledge and the good word and lean into those emotions. Trust yourself. The last little bit I'm going to give you um, a tip on is Jim Quick does this awesome strategy when you're presenting or trying to remember a sequence of something. So let's say your presentation has themes or concepts and there are six of them. So what he suggests you do is pretend you're standing in a room. So maybe it's your bedroom or maybe it's your living room or kitchen or whatever it may be. And because there are six themes, start in one side of the room and look around the room or visualize yourself looking around the room and pick six different things in the room. So for me, if I'm looking in my bedroom, it's my standing desk. It's my plants in the window. It's my giant window. It's my reading lamp. It's my mattress and it's my nightstand, let's just say. Each one of those things is going to represent one of the talking points in the order that I just named them around the room. I'm going to put a talking point for each one of those things. So when I'm on stage or when I'm presenting PD or when I'm live, what I'll do is I will just flash back to my room. Okay. The first thing is my standing desk. Then it's my plants. Then it's the window. Okay. So the first talking point is the standing desk. The standing desk represents whatever the talking point it was. So it helps me to remember those talking points in the order by visualizing them in, with a reference of something that I am familiar with. The other thing that you can do too is within those talking points, if there are sub points, you can think of the object you named and put a sub point on each part of the object. So maybe for the standing desk, it's like the desk itself is a sub point. The lever at the bottom is another sub point. The screws into the wall are another sub point. Uh, just again, to help me remember those talking points. When you tie a concept to a physical place or part of your body or something that you can remember or recall quite easily, it's much easier to remember them. So just a few tips for remembering information, especially if you are needing to call on it without a script. All right. So to wrap up the show, I am going to share with you our try it at home tip. Try it home tip which is internal abundance. What on earth is internal abundance? I was reading about this. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's a little woo-woo, so stay with me here, but it makes perfect sense. So internal abundance. When you turn inward and your internal state, it typically is one of scarcity 
or abundance. Scarcity is not having enough. Abundance is overflowing with joy and all the things. So what happens is internally, if you're telling yourself the message, the self-talk is scarcity, it's like a frame of a film. And that small frame internally gets projected onto a screen. The screen is life itself. And that's how you show up. And that's the energy you bring. So if you're scarcity on your internal side and your internal frame is that of scarcity, it's projected to the whole world to see scarcity. The universe picks that energy up. The universe reads that. And that's what the universe gives you, more scarcity. So internal abundance is the opposite. It is going inside of your mind, closing your eyes and thinking about and visualizing and being aware of all the things that you have in your life that are abundant, all the joyful things in your life. And when you do that, it changes that frame and that frame becomes one of joy, one of abundance. And then that's what's blasted out on the screen for the universe to see. And that's the type of energy that you bring. And because of that, it is magnetic, it is a universal energetic exchange and the universe will send you more abundance if you show up with an abundance mindset. So scarcity mindset, abundance mindset. How do we flip from scarcity to abundance? Just sit, close your eyes and think about all the things in your life that are abundant or things that bring you joy. Because when you are focused on the things that bring you joy, you can't be focusing on the things that bring you scarcity. And the more that you focus on the things that bring you joy, less energy you'll be giving to scarcity and that's the type of energy that you will put out into the universe and that's the type of energy that will come back around to you i know i said a little bit of woo-woo but i promise you that there's some neuroscience behind this your neurons start to wire in the direction of abundance when your neurons wire in the direction of abundance you unconsciously seek abundant opportunities and they come to you so trust me just take one minute a day Maybe pair it with a routine. Maybe pair it with your morning routine, or your evening routine, or your lunchtime routine. Just close your eyes and think of all the abundance you have in your life and try and do that every single day. If you can do that, then add two minutes and add three minutes and just try and focus on the abundance things and then be aware of all the abundance that comes to you. All right. So that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our try to home tip that internal abundance. And if you'd like me to answer your question on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or feel free to send me a text to 717-693-7744. And to lock in what you learn, do so by applying it right away. An easy way to do this, just leave me a comment or a review of your biggest takeaway from this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to future episodes to learn more ways to hack your brain. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.